kick off this message with a video. Um, but we're in a series, so let's just go ahead and, and jump to that. We're in a series called Christmas Stories. Christmas Stories. Now, how many of you guys, um, when your families get together, the stories start flying, right? Yes? That's one of the things we love to do when we gather. We sit around the fire, or if you're in South Texas, you sit around the table or maybe outside on the patio, um, you know, because there's not a whole lot of fire needed. And you begin to tell stories. And what we've done in this series is we've taken the stories in the scripture of Christmas and we've turned the characters into real life. Instead of having them be robot or stock characters or just something in the background, um, we've tried to open up these characters and, uh, and look at some um, kind of uh, different, different things and bring them to life. And so the first week we looked at Mary and, um, and we, we looked at the amazing trust that Mary and her story was about. And we learned that trust can only be given away by our actions. Then last week we looked at Joseph and the incredible faith, the amazing faith that he had and, and this idea that the faith that Joseph brought to us invites us to wake up to God's dreams for us. And we looked at those, those words where he woke up and he got up meaning the same thing and that it's awakening more than just from sleep. It's, it's, it's from that place within us, that dead to life place. It's very, very interesting and a lot of fun. And the kind of baseline question that we're, we're working with during this series is what kind of life do you want? What kind of life do you want? Because a life full of faith and a life full of trust, those things seem like pillars to a life of value. Right? If you don't have those things, your, your life is not going to have the same value, the same uh, meaning, the same joy that it could have. And so today, um, I just want to maybe for a few moments with you guys dive into the deepest of hopes. We're going to hope that God is faithfully moving the whole world our lives, our existence. He's moving the whole, he's pulling the whole thing towards a new and better future. Isn't that an amazing prayer? That sense of hope that tomorrow would be better than today, that our future would be brighter than the past, that God is somehow at work gracefully preparing things for us, into the future, into a better reality. And so with that in mind, today we're going to look at a couple. Um, we heard about it from Zeb and Allison a little bit earlier, but Zachariah and Elizabeth, and they have this, um, they have this unique role that they play in the Christmas story. It's how Luke starts out his gospel. They're really the first characters that we meet and it tells the story of Christ's coming. We find out that Zechariah is a priest, um, that Elizabeth also comes from a line of priests, 
that they are the parents of John the Baptist, that Elizabeth is a cousin of Mary, the mother of Jesus. So we actually get a lot of backstory, which is really kind of fun. Um, but they play this unique role. And if you don't know anything um, about how the New Testament gets going, there's a gap between where the Old Testament ends and the New Testament begins. It's several hundred years. And in that gap, the people of God presumed life to be hopeless. Their country was invaded and occupied by multiple different groups before it ended up in the New Testament with the Romans being the ones in charge. And they felt like God had been silent. The prophets of old stopped speaking. So they felt like God was completely gone. There's no hope because the voice of God is no longer present. We also find out that this couple is old. It's significant in the story. I'm not just judging them. <laughs> so, um, so we'll just we'll just jump into the story. If it's all right with you, it'll be on the screen for you. Um, we're going to be in Luke chapter one. You can follow along at wayfinders.info. Click on the message notes, and um, you can even write your own notes there. Um, but here we go. In the time of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God. He was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for burning incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before the Lord in spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of parents to the children and the disobedient uh, to the wisdom to the, of the righteous, and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. I'm pretty sure that's PC, right? I'm old, and my wife is well along too. Sorry, I do He's kind of PC, okay. Anyway, the angel said to him, I am Gabriel, I stand before the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at the appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. 
When he came out, he could no longer speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. What an odd story to start something brand new. Brandon Priest and his wife. He's serving at the temple. He doesn't believe God, and so God takes away his voice. What an odd story. And there's all kinds of layers that we need to unpack, so let's just jump in some of them. But I want to start with this idea, and this is really important for us to get this morning. God silenced Zechariah. So that Zechariah could not silence hope. Let me say that again. God silenced Zechariah so that he could not silence hope. See, there's some fun details in the story. Um, and, and hope is going to go forward without anybody's help because that's what God is at work doing. When he's silent, he's at work pulling the whole thing forward. We may not see it, but he is. So um, let's review some of the details. And if you're looking back at your scriptures, if you brought your Bible, you can jump around with me. But he's from the line of Abijah. That's what um, verse, is that verse 5 says. He's from the line of Abijah. Just so you know, you know, trivia information here. There are 24 different lines of priests, okay? Um, when they came back from captivity in the Old Testament, there was only four that came back from Babylon, but they re-split up into 24 in their original names, and so there were 24 different lines of priests. And each of those different lines of priests took two weeks out of the year to serve at the temple just their line priests, and they would serve at the temple in Jerusalem. Now, the holy days, like Passover week and another uh, couple weeks, everything would be all hands on deck. And so you would get chosen, if you're a part of that line of priests, you would get chosen at random to go and serve at the temple once in your career. Highlight career moment. Zechariah gets chosen. He goes to the temple. Now, because we know he's from the line of Abijah, he's going to be serving in early June during the festival called Shavuot, which celebrates God's giving of the Torah or the law. And the law is designed to build us up to the best possible life. It's designed to give you an identity as God's person. And so this was an important time for Zechariah in his life, the highlight of his career. Not only is it the highlight of his career, but it says he's chosen by lot, so they cast lots to see who gets what job when they get there. And he gets the most important job you could have, 
which was the burning of incense. Now, if you know anything about the, the Jewish temple, there's an outer courtyard called the Courtyard of Women. I'm sorry, that's just what it's called. Um, or the Courtyard of Nations. And so Gentiles could go in there. Anybody could go in there who wants to get right with God. And then there's an inner court, and only special people could go into the inner court. And then there's a holy place, and then there's the Holy of Holies. Now, only the high priest could go in the Holy of Holies. And in the holy place are a bunch of different altars. And the one in front of the entrance to the Holy of Holies is the altar of incense. And so the second most important job to the very high priest is the one who gets to light the incense bowl and say the prayer for the people of Israel to return to God. To be fully redeemed and restored as God's people. Highlight moment for a priest. Now you may be saying, well, that doesn't sound super highlight. Well, that's not your job, but it was his job. And if you got the opportunity to do that, it would have been career maker, right? You would have come home legendary. Like Kawhi Leonard, legendary. No, not Kawhi Leonard. Okay. Legendary. And so he gets chosen by Lot to go in and burn the incense. Now, as he's doing this, what does the scripture say? He's on duty. Verse 11. Jump on that with the screen for me. Verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. Alert. 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 That's what the scripture is saying right now. Anytime you see the word, the angel of the Lord, right? That's like God's presence. It's not just any ordinary angel. This is the mouthpiece of God. And the double alert to make this so real as God's presence speaking to Zechariah is he's standing at the right side of the altar of incense. Now, because I won't bore you with your trivia, I'll just tell you what was on the right side of the altar of incense because that seems significant now. And on the right side was a big giant golden candlestick. We call them menorahs. And a plate of bread called the showbread. This candle and this bread represent God's everlasting covenant and presence to pull us into a better future. It's God's promise that he's always going to be our God no matter what. And he will let us know what we are to do. Like a guiding light, like a sustaining breath. So when the angel is standing on that side, he's standing as the mouthpiece of God with the assurance that God will light up the best path, that he will provide for us no matter what, that tomorrow will be better than today. Everybody catching all the significance of all the placements and sure, you're catching it. I got you. God's promises. So what does the angel say? The angel says, Don't be afraid. This is verse 13. Don't be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. Now, 
If you keep reading that sentence, you think his prayer is about his son, about a child. Wrong He was reading from a script. His prayer was about the redemption and restoration of God's people to become fully God's people again. And the angel says, your prayer has been heard. And for good measure, kind of like a, you know, oh, and by the way, let me throw in a little extra. Your prayer has been heard. God is going to restore and redeem God's people. And just for good measure, let's have a little fun. By the way, your old, what should be well along in years, wife, she's going to have a baby. And not only is it going to be just any baby, he's going to be awesome. He's going to be filled with God's spirit and presence. The power of Elijah, who is like, you know, golden chariots of fire floating up into heaven forevermore, calling rain and fire, down, like that kind of level of awesomeness. By the way, if I could call down fire from heaven right now, I, mean, I probably could. I'm just saying, that would be awesome. That's the level of like, Oh, by the way, this baby, that's how incredible this baby's going to be. And what? What is his response? Verse 18. How can I be sure of this? How can I be sure of this? How can this be? What a human question to ask. God says, hey, I heard your prayer, and I'm one-upping it. I also heard that unspoken prayer of your heart that you were never sure was going to get answered, or maybe that you had given up on. And instead of rejoicing, how human, and there's no way God could do that. How's this going to be? Man, way to kill hope. But we've all done that, haven't we? You see, we think this story is actually about Zechariah and God silencing him because he's about to kill hope. He's about to silence hope. But it's actually a story about Elizabeth and about barrenness. Because at any time you hear a story in the scripture about a lady that can't conceive it's about more than just not having a baby. It's about there not being a future that God has provided. It's as if to say her barrenness is going far deeper. There are six barren birth stories in the scripture, and all of them are about God's grace finding a way for the hopeless. Finding a way for the hopeless. How cool is that, that God uses this same type of story to get our attention about how he provides a way for the hopeless? Have you ever been in a hopeless situation? I have. Even this morning, I had no hope that we were going to get the sound going at any capacity. And lo and behold, Jason fixed it enough to where we had sound. I wonder, 
when we need a different future, when we need a different life, I wonder if we believe that God is bringing the whole thing forward, that he's at work bringing the whole thing forward. You see, to be barren, right, in the physical sense, is not be able to have a child. But I think barren in the story is more than about the physical. I think barrenness is a mindset. It's an attitude. It's, it's a reality that can stifle hope. You ever met somebody devoid of hope? It seems pretty barren, doesn't it? I think barrenness is hopelessness because it's about our future. It's about that relationship that we think is never going to be healed or resolved. It's about that job that we're never sure is going to work out to provide enough or if it's going anywhere. It's about our joy. It's about the future. It's about our self-esteem and image because we could never be enough and measure up. It is about our government, and, and will they ever succeed in actually getting something right? It's about our world and our worldview. Barrenness is an attitude, a mindset, a reality that can stifle hope. Here's another thing. Here's what strikes me as so odd about this story. You can have hope for others, but not for yourself. That's Friday calling me back. We'll try to get later. You can have hope for others, but not for yourself. I find this incredibly compelling because when the angel says to Zachariah, your prayer has been answered, he doesn't question that. What does he question? And by the way, you're going to have a kid. What? Me? No, 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 no. You, you must be mistaken. You, you, you must be mistaken. Instead of believing, he puts his objections out there. Oh, we're too old for that. How many times in our lives have we thrown out our objections to what could be instead of trusting, instead of having faith, instead of potentially believing in hope that God is already at work pulling the whole thing forward? Oh, it's easy to put our human objections why? We get trapped into an old way, a hopeless way of thinking. I mean, here's what's crazy to me. The objection isn't just a simple objection. It is an objection against what God can do. He's standing as the mouthpiece of God. How can this be? Isn't it crazy to think that we have that kind of audacity? Hey, God, I know better than you, and we're old. 
I'm out. Really? But we do this all the time because when we fail to believe that God is going to provide a better future, a more full future, a, a, a different future than the one that we have that is hopeless right now, do you know what we're saying to God? Yeah, sorry, God. I'm here. That's never going to happen. See you later. Really? What kind of audacity to do that to the voice of God? Now, maybe that sounds like I'm downplaying it a little bit, but I think that's a pretty significant moment. If God, in angelic form, showed up to you and said, Paul, this is your future. I, I don't want to go back to school, and I don't think you could handle this. God, I'm really, no, I, you know, I'm just okay without it. Thanks. Really? How much will we miss out on about what God has for us, about the role we get to play in this unfolding story around us? It's an objection against what God can do. Here's another interesting thing. It's very interesting to me how the writers of Scripture use names. Do you know the rest of the story, right? Zechariah goes home, silent. His wife immediately becomes pregnant. That's what the Scripture says. I'm not saying what happened for that to happen, but I'm pretty sure he's been gone. He comes home. You guys know what happens. And then she has a baby on the way. And she secludes for five months saying, God has seen me. That's pretty amazing. Shown his favor. Taken away my disgrace. Okay, then the angel visits Mary. Okay? Angel tells Mary, hey, you're going to have a son. Oh, and P.S., side note, your cousin Elizabeth is pregnant too. And she's like, what? Elizabeth was old. She's not PC. She's my cousin. Oh, that's not what? And so what does she do? She scurries over to meet Elizabeth. And the baby inside Elizabeth's belly, right, immediately jumps inside her belly. And the scripture says she that the baby became full of God's spirit. Because in the presence of God, in the presence of Jesus, we become full of his spirit. The name John means God has been gracious or favorable. The name John means God has been gracious or favorable. But we get stuck in these old ways of thinking. We get stuck in our objections against what God can do. We get, we get trapped in our old ways of thinking. Let's go all the way down, and I'm not sure if we have it on the screen for you, but if you're tracking online, I know we do. Verse 61. Zechariah can't speak. It comes time John has been born, and they have a naming ceremony. So they have a naming ceremony that goes along with the circumcision. We're focusing on the naming ceremony. And Elizabeth says his name is going to be John. And all of the people there to help him with the naming ceremony, what do they say? 
anybody with that name in your family? You can use that name. It's not a family name. What are you thinking? Objection, objection, objection. What are they objecting? They're thinking in the old ways. They're thinking in their trapped ways. Because what does the name mean? God has been gracious or faithful. See, God is up to something new in pulling the whole thing forward. And so God's gracious, God's grace and goodness and favorable goes before us, planning and plotting something new. In fact, that's what John ultimately does. He makes a way for the presence of Jesus to connect with people in the world, for people to be filled with the spirit of Jesus, to be restored back to God. See, John had a role to play in the whole story with his preaching and his baptizing and what he did. He, he had a role to play in the whole thing because God invites all of us to have a role to play in it. I wonder, when Zechariah needed it most, when God gave him hope, I wonder how deep that trapping went, his objection went. But God was up to something new. If you go after Zechariah wrote down on a tablet confirming that this new baby's name is going to be John, his voice immediately opened up because he believed that God was gracious and favorable in pulling the whole thing forward. And he bursts into song. He bursts into song. And you know what he starts doing? According to the scripture, and this, is, this section is from 67 to the end of chapter 1, essentially. He starts out with several verses in this song, this prayer, praising God for the restoration of God's people. God heard that prayer. And that's where he starts. And then when it shifts to praising God about something personal to his own heart, that God would hear him. This is so crazy to me. They ask the question, back in verse 66, everyone who heard this, wondering about it, Asking, what then is this child going to be? What then is this child going to be? We have a situation, my friends, where hope seemed barren. Life was a wasteland. God was silent. There was no movement. And when God begins to move, it comes to a man who has enough faith to believe that God can move for someone else. God can hear the big prayer, but not my prayer. 
I'm here to tell you this morning that the way hope works is it is something that goes into the deepest places. And John, God is gracious and favorable, talks about how God meets those deepest places, and he is graciously and favorably showering his spirit and his presence and his hope with each and every one of us. So Zechariah sings this prayer that goes deeper than a physical thing into a spiritual thing. He sings about God's redemption in the world, and then he sings about what God is doing with his son. My child will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare a way for him. To go on before, ahead of. See, God is always making a way where things seem barren. God is always making a way, not just for someone else, but for me. Their family, this one family, became waymakers, bringers of hope, and they went on before Jesus to the people of Israel, to the barren and dark places, claiming hope, healing, and a future. So, let's finish with this. Church, my brothers and sisters, where do you need God to pull you forward? Where are you barren? What situation seems lifeless and hopeless? Where do we need God to pull us forward? And who do we need to hope for? Because there's a part of that prayer about the restoration and redemption of God's people that we need to pick up on. The prayer is for others. While I'm praying for someone else, God hears my request, too. Where do we need God to pull us forward? Where in ourselves are we bearing? And who do we need to hope for? This morning, I want to invite